Welcome to Key into Quality, a Mayo Clinic podcast focusing on healthcare quality, patient experience, and affordability trends and solutions. Thanks a lot for joining us. I'm Dr. Tim Morgenthaler, a professor of medicine and the vice chair of Mayo Clinic Quality and Affordability. And co-hosting today's conversation is Sherry Nemec. Sherry? Welcome, everyone. I'm Sherry Nemec, Consultation Relationship Manager for Quality at Mayo Clinic. So I noticed that our topic today touches on all areas of the Mayo Clinic value equation, outcome, safety, and experience over cost. Yes, and we're actually going to have the chance to talk with two leaders at Mayo Clinic who've been working to improve the efficiency of operating rooms. Now, I had the opportunity to hear these two during a report they gave at a recent surgical and procedural quality conference. We have four quarterly quality conferences per year. They're very heavily attended. It's a great way to disseminate information. And I always learn something when I go to these things. So they talked about a recent project to improve operating room efficiency. And I was particularly impressed by their emphasis on measurement, on change management, and the results that they've had. You know, the work that usually goes on in operating rooms is, of course, so valuable to patients. They come from around the world and region to get this kind of expertise. But ORs are also one of the most costly units in any hospital. So improving operating room efficiency is one way to reduce costs. It has to be done in a way that balances things so you don't compromise patient and staff safety, the respect that the patient needs, and that it maintains or even improves quality outcomes. You know, managing these very busy places is a little like managing an airport or the flight deck of an aircraft carrier. A lot of busy things going on, a lot of dangerous equipment, a lot of opportunities for people to get harmed. So it's a very delicate balance. And to help us learn ways to address this very complex challenge, I'm really happy to have these two gentlemen here today. I've got Dr. Timothy Curry and Dr. Mark Trudy. Tim, could you just introduce yourself to us a little bit? Tell us about how long you've been at Mayo and what is your role? Sure. Uh, and thanks for having us here. It's a real pleasure to be here. I'm an anesthesiologist at Mayo Clinic. I've trained here. I uh, started here in the early 2000s. I've been here on staff now for about 16 years. Currently serve as the practice chair for our department here in Rochester and also serve as the vice chair for the surgical and procedural committee as well. Boy, thanks so much, Tim. And by the way, my compliments on your choice of an excellent first name. Um, <laughs> Mark, how about you? Could you tell us a little bit about your role here at Mayo Clinic? Yeah, so I'm one of the pedobiliary surgeons here in Rochester. Uh, like Tim, I also trained here. I left for fellowship for a few years, and then I've been back on staff here for about nine years. And me and Tim have been working together on this OR efficiency project. So thank you, guys. You know, doc, both Drs. Curry and Trudy, they lead an OR efficiency executive team dedicated to optimizing our institution's OR and procedural practices. So let me just start off by asking a question that I'm, I'm sure our listeners want to know. Why did you guys decide to focus on OR efficiency? You touched on it a little bit earlier, and, and that is that it's a busy time. It's a busy place. It's a lot like the tarmac of, of an airport. Just like an airport, safety is the number one priority, but um, we have to get all of the people, both the staff and the patients in the right place and try to keep things flowing. And we also have a limited amount of time to do so. Um, and we want to be able to serve the needs of as many patients as possible while still making sure that our staff are able to do so in a, in a way that is sustainable and allows them to practice in a safe manner for a long period of time, long careers along the way. Best way to do that is try to minimize the work that isn't beneficial, uh, the work that doesn't provide value, and try to maximize the work that does provide value. And by improving the efficiency, the goal is to elevate all of us, all the practice to try to make the practice work together better. 
Well, Tim, you know, that's a beautiful explanation really of, of lean, isn't it? Get the waste out and put the value front and center and, and really let everyone work to their best potential. So thanks so much for that. You know, when you guys started describing your project to me in that presentation a couple months ago, you really started by focusing on data. Can you tell me a little bit about, you know, why did you decide to focus on that data and how have you used it? Data is very important. These days we have mountains and mountains of data. The problem is we don't have a lot of information from that data and that's what differentiates data and information. Data are the facts or details from which information is derived. And we rarely use individual pieces of data to make any changes. And so to convert data to information, we first have to make sure that our data is accurate, it's relevant for the specific question or purpose that we're applying it, and it has to be put in the appropriate context to understand you know, where we've been, where we currently are practicing, and where do we want the practices to move forward. So you set about to try to find accurate data. I mean, what kinds of data are we talking about? What did you feel would be important to this project of improving the efficiency of the OR? A lot of it has to do with events. When does something happen so that you can track how often it happens at the time it's supposed to, how much time occurs between those events, and try to understand how that works with the system that you intended to put into place. So it'll be if Take the analogy from the flight industry again. If the flight was supposed to depart at 7.30 in the morning, how close was it to departing on time? An on-time start for an operating room is a very important piece of information. Um, how long it takes to bring in the next airplane and get it cleaned up and get it ready for the next flight? How long it does it take to turn over that plane? How long does it take to turn over that operating room so that it's ready for the next patient as it comes in? So a lot of it had to do with time. Uh, we also tried to incorporate some of the reasons behind things. So if there was a delay, how could we get some information as to whether or not there was a reason for that delay or there was something that we don't measure? And then in that case, we have to try to find new information. Mm -hmm. Out of curiosity, when, when you started the project and you, let's say we, we took a percentage of operations that were an on-time start, what did you find when you first started looking at, at a practice here? The key thing is, is getting that data and looking at it honestly. And in order to view that data, you have to, first of all, be sure it's real, it's accurate. And that's when we really depended on Tim and some of his you know, data analytics team to make sure that we're capturing the data that we're asking for. Initially, everyone had their opinion, you know, well, you know, everything is working perfectly well, there's probably small problems, or there's finger pointing. Well, it's not our problem, it's someone else's problem. And when you could present that data in an unbiased fashion, and people have to trust that it's real, it's a lot easier then to get buy-in. And one of the first things we found was that we had different measures happening. So you had one group that was measuring it based on one certain timestamp or one certain event. And then you had another group that was doing it completely differently. And it was providing two different pictures, two different sets of data. So for example, when the patient comes into the operating room, the anesthesia team will scan the armband and that puts an automatic timestamp on there. The nursing team also has an event of OR enter and they do that manually. But of course, their primary concern is facing with the patient. And so they'd be talking with the patient, making sure they were comfortable trying to do all that. And then they'd have to go back and record that time later. When those two numbers didn't concur, we had the problem that Mark was exactly talking about. How do you trust data if you've got two different sets of it? So one of the first things we had to do was work and try to set a set of standards and definitions for all of these things as we were going forward. What is the definition of an on-time start? Where is that day going to be captured so that then we can then start to compare truly apples to apples? 
I'm kind of curious, Tim, how did you actually get that consensus? We have a very wide range of surgical services here. Tell us a little bit about that work. Well, the easiest one was to take the one that was the most automatic and that every patient, as soon as they come in the operating room, they're scanned into the anesthesia chart and that timestamp was used there. But some of the other ones are a little bit more challenging. In fact, we're trying new innovative ways to track patients as they go through the operating room that don't depend on human behavior, just like things that occur everywhere else uh, in our world where there's automatic timestamps that come through it, whether it's you pick up a new cell tower or something like that. So how can we have trackers in the sense that allow us to see where patients go, where it doesn't depend on somebody to go and click a button, which is truly not really value-added work when you think about it. Someone stopping, leaving a patient where they should be paying attention to, going over to computer and charting something, then going back to that patient distracts them. It takes them away from things like safety, which we touched on earlier. So it's the cost of data collection, really, as, as you're trying to improve the value of your process. So I imagine when you started collecting these data, you had individualized data, right? I mean, you had Dr. X, this is your on times, and Dr. Y, this is you're on times and she over there, that's her on times. And is that right? Absolutely. You could parse the data however you like, whether it's by a specific operating room, by a surgeon, by a, an anesthesiologist, you know, so lots of ways to, to look at the data. And the key thing is not to pit one group or one room against another, because it's more than one person or one group that determines an on-time start. It's from, did the patient get to the hospital on time? You know, was there traffic? Was there a bunch of people coming in all at once and there was a longer line in registration? So we need to at first understand lots of processes working together to make that on-time start happen. It's not one individual's responsibility. It's a team responsibility. Can you talk a little bit about posting or sharing that data, moving from that individual understanding, accepting my data to that full transparency across the teams? What, what kind of reactions did you get there? We had a lot of discussions about how best to share the data. And as Tim mentioned, we collected lots of data points and we could overwhelm people by giving them all this excessive amount of information. So we decided, let's just look at the on-time start on any individual room. Now that may be surgeons, some rooms have different surgeons or procedurals that share. There may be different OR staff in that room, different services. But we felt the, the simplest way is just to do it by the room. And we did, you know, the six months average, the three month average, and then the one month average and what our specific goals would be. And we put them on, you know, every month we put it up and everyone gets to see how they've done previously and how they've recently done. The point of that was just to see where you're starting from. You have to have a baseline. And then the hope is then that we could all work together to improve upon that. So there was mixed results. Some people who are high performers obviously enjoyed, you know, sharing it. Others didn't like it so much, but it also led to some healthy competition. You know, I want to be better than 103. You know, 103 is beating us by 10 percentage points. Yeah, I can uh, only imagine the teams in the ORs are only just a little bit competitive. And it also so, gave us some insight into the reasons why a room wouldn't start on time. You know, well, it was because some process that we were completely uh, unaware of and not measuring was hampering that on-time start. And so now we've opened up voices to talk to us and explain that to us, and then we can move and work uh, on the side to eliminate those obstacles. I know that there must have been a lot of uh, moments of learning as you finally started to discuss these data. Maybe you guys could just share, like, what were some of the things that you learned? If, if we just for the moment focus on what you called an on-time start, and you said, well, here's someplace where it wasn't quite as on time as we wanted it. What types of things did you learn really do affect that? And what did you 
tend to do about them? I know that could be a really big conversation. Just give us some examples. We now have enough data that we can start to look at what are the trends. Uh, and simply just by showing people where they were, we've seen some natural improvements. And there are certain parts of our practice that have just naturally moved from the red to the yellow to the green, and it's been quite nice to see. But there are certainly clear areas where you're not seeing that transition, that natural improvement going on. We've kind of already have a sense of where some of those areas are and what the issues are, and they're, they tend to be logistical bottlenecks. So they're areas that maybe don't have the facility capacity to bring those patients through in that manner, or they don't have elevators that are large enough to transport the patients from the admissions area up to the check-in area. So we can start to look and see those patterns. And that's when you start to organize a team of experts, the people who are truly the health systems engineers and those individuals who specialize in this to start to dig into that a little bit and see where do we need to make improvements where they truly will have an effect. And, and the other aspect is it's not a universal on-time start for every room or procedure room. You know, we've tended to have some stagger starts to give people a little bit of flexibility. So not every case starts at the same time. We've noted that, you know, some of the larger, more complex cases do take a lot of more prep time. So they perhaps may have a later start than a more simple case that can potentially start earlier when everyone's available and the equipment's ready. So these are some of the insights that, you know, low-hanging fruit, we can easily modify our, our current systems. It's also allows us to have some other conversations like about safety. We don't want to be so dogmatic that we say you have to be in the room on time if there is a safety reason why there should be a delay, whether it's patient specific or something hasn't been done or there's something that the patient needs along the way. So we do also want to remember that we have a person center at this whole process here, and we do want to make sure that patient experience and that patient safety also comes to forward. So it's allowed us to have other interesting conversations as well, just starting to talk about the processes that we do every day. So what would you say are some of the harder things that you found to improve? Some of it has to do with incentives. The institution would like every room to start on time. Exactly. That's our goal. You know, as Tim said, sometimes that's not feasible for a variety of reasons, whether it's some logistical reasons, whether it's a patient safety issue. And then there's individual priorities. What had happened in the past is if you got your rooms done on time and quickly, the reward for that room was we get another case and now you have to work longer. We didn't think of that. Like, well, okay, that that shouldn't be the incentive. You get more work. At the same time, we also didn't want it to be punitive. You know, so even though we have a certain goal, there's reasons we don't necessarily have to reach that goal. We're striving towards it, you know, to get near perfect, but the goal is never to get to perfect. How long have you guys been working on this project now together? Well, this efficiency in general has been worked on at Mayo for a period of time. My predecessor in practice, uh, Mike Brown, did a number of different ones. There's chairs of the Department of Surgery have come and go on this in the hospital. This group really got together uh, as a result of the pandemic. We knew that we were going to be working with probably smaller teams different volumes, different challenges based on the patients, new safety protocols that had to be put into place to take care of patients who potentially could provide harm to our staff. And so this group really got together as part of the, once we slowed the practice down to try to just understand what was going on, how do we bring it back in a manner that's sustainable? It grew from there. Had a larger group of people at first, there was a lot of ideas and a lot of energy. And we realized we really needed some of this data infrastructure before we could move forward and start to re-engage those people who ultimately are going to be the ones that help us adjust this practice. Yeah, we were successful during the initial 
COVID crisis to scale down our practices, but we had to get back, you know, to full speed and how to do that more efficiently at the same time, anticipate future disruptions, you know, another COVID surge or, or the next yeah. pandemic, God forbid, you know, so how do we put in the processes so we can easily ramp down and ramp up? You were kind of reading my next question, because as I was thinking about you organizing to do this in the midst of the onslaught of COVID, I was wondering, you know, has that put you in a better position to be able to adjust for the recent surge and so forth? Do you feel that, you know, the tools have been helpful to know how to adjust? I think without question, you know, having that information uh, allows us to pivot, you know, like this, like data, all data, it could be descriptive and it could also be predictive and prescriptive. So that's the, the point of using, you know, real good, accurate data to give us the information we need to pivot at any point in time. Well, you guys, this has been great. I mean, you have so much information and so much expertise in this area. If you were going to just get a phone call from another healthcare organization who sa- who would say, hey, how do we get started on this? I mean, what would your two tidbits of advice be? I think it really is making sure you know what to measure and that you're measuring it well. If you don't do that, all of these efforts are going to be for not. Um, people won't trust you. They're not going to trust the data. They're not going to trust the changes that you make um, because there's no way of measuring them. So that's one thing. The second aspect, which has to be, you know, coincide with what Tim mentioned, is it has to focus on the people, you know, the teams. Uh, you have to have buy-in. You, know, you have to make sure there's a culture that's willing to make change because we may be really transformational. It may be difficult and people don't like to change what they're currently doing. So you have to identify champions, you know, with, within the groups to make sure that it's fostered and everyone understands the purpose of this. Well, that's terrific. I think those are really, really good points to help our listeners think about where to start. Well, we're coming to the end of our time, but I want to know before I end, what are you guys working on next? What are your next challenges? What are you thinking about? The challenge we have from here, and I don't know how you asked the question around it, is, is where do you go? Do you just pick another metric or do you slow down and say, all right, how do you get the people around those things? So that's where I think we're still kind of trying to figure out is, uh, and then figure out who owns this. Is it the individual practices or does it have to be a group that leads this? To, how do you get the stakeholders more engaged along the way? I don't know the questions around those, but those are sort of our next challenges is now that you have this information, how do you engage ENT surgery or thoracic surgery or look at the infrastructure challenges at Methodist Hospital that are real that's where we're trying to, we're asking some of those questions now too, to be honest, Tim. And also to avoid the time complacency. They ignore those signs on the door, you know, or another metric, too much data overload. Well, you guys, this is really, really helpful. I I can only imagine for somebody who's not thought a lot about this coming into this is like, wow, I, I didn't know all that was there. So we have to end our podcast, but I'm really glad you guys could join us and hope yeah, thanks for joining us today. Uh, going to be useful to everyone else. So again, Mayo Clinic's Key into Quality podcast aims to help you take some of those first steps to address important quality challenges in your organization. The development of this podcast is part of our effort to be a valued resource to healthcare organizations striving to improve. Our goal is to improve quality for patients and populations that we all serve. So please let us know if you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, share it with the other people in your organization so that the information can be spread. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.